In these unprecedented times, we need effective immune support. That's why I'm excited to introduce two formulas that work, CV Defense and CV Acute. There's nothing quite like them. CV Defense is a daily preventative, the only supplement that delivers the six most important ingredients to optimize your immune function, including PEA, a critical molecule for long-term immunity at the cellular level. CV Acute is a fast-acting, great-tasting syrup for direct immune activation. It eliminates invaders with a fruit flower and root of patented Chinese medicine. I take it when I feel run down to fend off respiratory infections. Both products are safe, all-natural, and backed by numerous clinical trials. For more information and to order, go to TotalImmuneHealth.com and take advantage of discounts from 30 to 50% just for listening to Intelligent Medicine. That's TotalImmuneHealth.com. TotalImmuneHealth.com for the most exciting immune support products in years. Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, we're talking about one of the great books of 2018. It's called Good Reasons for Bad Feelings, Insights from the Frontiers of Evolutionary Psychiatry. Uh, our guest is Dr. Randolph Nessie. He's a pioneer in this field of evolutionary medicine. Uh, a previous book uh, covered physical ailments, why we get sick. Uh, and now he's tackling uh, psychological uh, ailments, uh, psychiatric conditions. Uh, and it's a really very, very interesting perspective on uh, why we sometimes feel bad. But uh, there's some uh, disorders, Dr. Nessie, which are just very distinct uh, debilitating disorders, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, schizophrenia, autism, uh, you know, surely uh, those are failures of our system to function correctly, or is it possible that they there may be some basis in evolution for why these uh, the genetic susceptibility to these traits persists? You're absolutely right. They are failures. And I think it's often hard for people who are just getting into evolutionary psychiatry to recognize that the emphasis on how negative emotions can be useful doesn't at all imply that disorders of emotions or disorders of behavior like addiction and attention deficit disorder and disorders of cognition like schizophrenia are useful. They're not. They're diseases. Something's not working. But evolution has a lot to say, not just about things that are working normally, but about things that aren't working very well. And for instance, in evolutionary medicine, some of the greatest advances have been in cancer, in trying to understand why natural selection was not able to better prevent cell division. Other huge advances in evolutionary medicine are about why the immune system can't be more powerful to protect us better against diseases. And the answer is that if it was more powerful, we would have more autoimmune diseases and we'd age faster. So evolutionary medicine by no means assumes that everything is useful. In fact, uh, I have to beat on my students to make them recognize that no, diseases do not have evolutionary explanations. Mm -hmm. However, traits that leave us vulnerable to disease do have evolutionary explanations. Well, it may be pop psychology, but I've heard it said that, uh, for example, uh, schizophrenics who have hallucinations and visions, uh, they may have uh, served a purpose in uh, ancient uh, Paleolithic societies. They were the, uh, the shamans or the visionaries uh, who uh, channeled uh, religious experiences for the tribe. 
uh, or that uh, people who have obsessive compulsive disorder, they were the trackers. You know, they would relentlessly track animals for days and days at a time when the rest of the tribe would uh, give up. Uh, is there some basis for believing that that's more than just pop psychology interpretation? No, there's no reason at all. Those are great examples of completely wrong theories that are seductive for people who don't know their evolutionary biology. Okay. One of the real huge advantages of a modern take on evolutionary biology is that the whole idea of something being shaped because it's good for the species is now out the window. Hmm. Uh, and that, that was actually shown to be false in 1966 with George Williams' famous book, Adaptation and Natural Selection. And since then has transformed the study of animal behavior. But most doctors have never heard about it. And this is a gap. This is kind of like engineers who believe in perpetual motion or something. Hmm. This is just a, an illustration of really smart doctors who are well-educated, but they've never had a chance to learn the basics of evolutionary biology. So they can be seduced by these completely wrong, impossible theories. But so, but there is a connection in some ways, some uh, evolutionary basis for, I think uh, you call it uh, the fitness cliff. Uh, that explains right. more serious uh, mental disorders. Can can you explain it so that lay people can grasp that concept? Sure can. I, I want to work into it a little bit though, sure. because back at back in the year two thousand, new millennium, we just sequenced the genome, and most of us who were recognizing that most diseases, not just psychiatric ones, had a profound genetic component to who gets them, who doesn't. We thought, now we're going to finally find mm -hmm. out the we'll genetic map everything. Yeah. And I'm sure you've, with other podcasts, gone over the terribly disappointing truth of it. Now that we can sequence the genome, we know that for most of these disorders, diabetes and much cancer, as well as bipolar disease and schizophrenia, they are very highly heritable. Whether you get them or not depends a lot on what genes you have. Mm -hmm. But there are no genes that are common that have large effects. There are hundreds and thousands of them that increase your risk by a half of 1% mm -hmm. or maybe even 1%. Now what do we do? There are larger studies, but I think many of them are assuming that these are abnormal genes, that these are mutations. Some of them certainly are. Mutation selection balance is a very important thing. But I've set my mind to try to figure out, so what are some alternative explanations? But, so they're, they're not as clear-cut as, like, say, a gene that causes sickle cell anemia, just the transposition of one amino acid in, a, in, a, uh, gene in the DNA can cause a whole cascade of, of problems within the organism. Uh, so to, to, I think to refine your point, uh, there's, these are polygenetic, or they're, they're genetic polymorphisms which may partake of of scores or even hundreds of genes that somehow they summate, they combine together to great potentialities, but they're shaped by the environment too. So there's this epigenetic uh, contribution of, you know, will you express the genes or not? It's, it's super complicated. Well, I'm not sure it's going to turn out to be quite as complicated as we thought. And, and this idea that, you know, because we're not finding the genes, that means environment is not is more important. I'm not sure that's right either. I think it really is genetic variations that influence risk. Um, it's been hard to find the connections between genes and environments for many of these things. But trying to figure out why on earth would a gene that causes your reproduction to go down by half stick around? Of course, there is no, if it was one gene, it would go away. You know, people with schizophrenia, on average, have about half as many children as other people. Yeah. Likewise, people with autism, you would think 
that that would eliminate it's, it's maladaptive in which it should be weeded out of the gene pool yeah and and it's not epilepsy too epilepsy is highly heritable and i think that's a marvelous example of a of a problem I mean, there's something about the way the you know electrical system in the brain is wired that pushes it right to an edge where most everybody is vulnerable to epilepsy if any number of things go wrong. And we've kept hoping that we can find a specific brain problem for each of our psychiatric disorders. But in epilepsy, we recognize that it's partly sensitivity to seizures, it's partly brain damage, it's partly metabolism, it's partly temperature. Everything contributes to seizures. Why are we so vulnerable to seizures at all? Why does anybody have a seizure? That's the question. Right. Well, I, I think when I read your description of the fitness cliff, it sounds a little bit like we're, we're designed to be in some respects, like very high performing uh, sports cars uh, that can go, you know, 180 miles per hour on a, on a speed track, uh, but are vulnerable at such speeds to uh, mechanical failure sometimes. I mean, you know, I'd rather drive, uh, you know, a reliable, uh, you know, Ford or Chevy uh, SUV uh, than a Maserati for that reason. That's right. That's right. The, the example that inspired me actually was one of racehorses. Maybe, maybe you know it already, but for every 1,000 racehorse starts, the horse is going to break a leg. Yeah. And you've got to yeah. wonder, why on earth do horses, are, or are they so vulnerable to breaking their legs? And the answer to that one is that racehorses are bred from the very fastest other racehorses. And over the generation, that makes their leg bones longer and thinner and lighter and more vulnerable to breaking. And so, so they've been pushed right to a cliff edge where the longer and thinner and lighter that bone is, the faster the horse is. However, one more step and it's really vulnerable to breaking. This also explains why we can't find very many benefits uh, to the relatives of people who have diseases like schizophrenia. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect that the horse who's a relative of one that's broke its leg would necessarily be a lot faster than other horses, but it's still the fact that Horses were shaped for speed, and that's why they all why they all are vulnerable. Okay, folks, at this point, uh, let's pause and allow one of our sponsors an opportunity to share this important message with you. Do you suffer with chronic pain? Are you taking risky, over-the-counter, or prescription anti-inflammatory drugs? This is Dr. Ronald Hopp with a better natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals, Liquid Turmeric Liposome Complex. Future Farm's liquid turmeric with liposomes and nanotechnology delivers maximum absorption for effective pain relief. Sourced and manufactured in the United States, this product contains 1,600 milligrams of curcumin and powerful antioxidant properties. This plant-based curcumin is used to possibly reduce inflammation, block proteins that trigger swelling, and intercept inflammatory pathways, significantly decreasing inflammatory responses. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or Go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Don't live with pain when there's an all-natural, science-based remedy that works. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting our sponsors. They're what make Intelligent Medicine a continuing free resource to you. And now back to our guest, Dr. Randolph Nessie, author of Good reasons for bad feelings. You know, on a, on a societal level, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, we're talking about an evolutionary mismatch between our uh, uh, equipment, our brains, uh, and our environments. 
what we're seeing is something that uh, actually was featured on uh, 60 Minutes recently, is that, that there really is an epidemic of uh, depression uh, and suicide uh, in our uh, youngest uh citizens in the United States and across the Western world, it seems to be the case. And this is actually a departure from previous trends. I mean, yes, you know, uh, kids tend to be uh, emotional. They tend to be uh, idealistic. Uh, that's been the case, I think, from time immemorial. But there's something happening. Uh, can, can you speculate on why there seems to be such an epidemic of youthful mental disorders, including ADHD? Uh, and yeah. So, you know, the article you're referring to, I'm eager to read, it just came out a week ago in the American Psychological Association Journal, at least, at least the one about young people having more depression and, and suicide than before. So, i, I got to read the article. I, I must say that, you know, a lot of my background has been at the Institute for Social Research at the University of Michigan, where they taught me to be a rigorous epidemiologist and not believe every single finding mm -hmm. that shows up. Yeah shows up in the newspaper. I'm certainly the idea there's an epidemic of anxiety and depression over the past 20 years is not correct. Um, it really looks like rates have been relatively the same. Uh, there, there are peaks that go up when there's a drug drug abuse epidemic um, with crack cocaine, for instance. But you know, it doesn't seem like modern life is taking its toll. You know increasingly with increasing years. On the other hand, apparently that data that was just published a few weeks ago. Um, does show that something bad is happening to kids. So I really want to look at that to keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. But to some extent, uh, it may be uh, agenda-driven or there may be uh, diagnostic creep that uh, because of the availability of more therapeutic modalities, including drugs, drugs for bipolar disorder, which are ever more popular among kids or for ADHD, that maybe we're classifying kids who previously would have just been moody kids or uh, restless kids or aggressive kids. Uh, as having a disorder. Or maybe so many more kids are smoking dope now yep. or otherwise using amphetamines to get through the night and other things that that plus lack of exercise and other things really is causing increases. It's going to be terribly important to try to figure this out. I gave a series of lectures in London a couple of weeks ago in, in response to the launch of the book and every journalist wanted to know what were we going to do about the epidemic of problems with teenagers yep. because there too there's huge concern and it might be real. It might be that keeping your nose in a smartphone all day mm -hmm. um, does bad things to your ability to have real relationships and satisfaction in life. Hmm. What about addiction? You reflect on uh, the nature of uh, addictive uh, diseases. What's the evolutionary basis for that? Well, certainly addiction itself isn't helpful in any way, although a few people disagree with me about that. They say maybe our preference for alcohol in particular got us to eat ripe fruits. Uh, it seems to me that most addicting substances essentially hijack our normal learning mechanism. It's really good we have a learning mechanism mm -hmm. to get us to do the same thing again that worked before and gave us a, a little jolt of dopamine. Risk-reward because hardwired into the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but you no... Know, as soon as a society gets access to pure drugs reliably with routes of administration that take it directly to the brain, whether it's needles or inhaling from cigarettes, um, then addiction is going to follow because it just uses that learning mechanism and turns it on and, and the stimulus is something that was never available in ancestral environments, so natural selection never had a chance to protect us. Right. In the book, you reflect on uh, optimism versus uh, pessimism. You know, we really place a premium on uh, optimism. In fact, uh, learned optimism is a classic in the in the psychological literature. 
by uh, one of your uh, esteemed forerunners. Um, right. The but you actually talk about uh, the evolutionary value of pessimism in the book. So I would never say that personality types, like being optimistic or pessimistic, should be talked about. What I really am interested in is how changing frames of mind from optimism to pessimism can be useful because environments changed. If environments were exactly the same all the time, social as well as food environments, then we'd just go along the same way all the time. And some people do that, actually. Some people don't experience much mood variation no matter what. But if all of a sudden there's a bonanza, or you need to get the crops in before the storm hits, you had better have the ability to juice things up and have a huge burst of energy while the getting is good. And conversely, if there's a time when there isn't any rain, or it's just freezing out and there's no food to be gotten, people do better if they hunker down and really don't do much of anything in that circumstance. And that, so, and that may be uh, a hardwired uh, potentiality within the brain to uh, adjust uh, to externals. You know, there's a marvelous uh, behavioral ecologist, mathematical biologist, Eric Charnov, who had a very simple formula for understanding how long individuals stay at one feeding patch, whether it's a raspberry bush or an apple tree, before going on to another one. And his theory applies to all organisms, not just humans. Even even ladybird beetles uh, do the same thing, trying to figure out how long should a ladybird beetle suck on, suck on this particular aphid before going to look for another one. Hmm. But it turns out that you know if you take every single apple from the tree, that's going to take too long to get the last one. If you only pick a few apples from the tree and then move on to an, the next tree, um, in the natural environment at least, it's going to take too long to find a tree, you had better figure out the optimal stopping time. Sort of like the Goldilocks and principle for uh, motivation. That's right. you got to do it just right. turns out all animals do that just right, and a lot of it has to do with our motivation system. I mean, whether it's, you know, picking apples or even having a podcast now that we're doing that. You know, it, there's excitement at the beginning, and lots of th the apples come drawing, drawing down, and then things taper off some, and, and after a while, you know, most of the good fruit has been picked. And it's right. really best to move on to another podcast or another Apple tree or something like that. Our days are shaped like this, Dr. Hoffman. I mean, yeah. we, we work for 90 minutes on something, and then our interest flags, we move to something else. Likewise, in larger things in life, we have a project or a job or, or something, and we spend a lot of time and years on it, but eventually interest flags some. And then it's important to try to have a system that adjusts where we put our effort and how much effort we put in. So to disoptimized. That, that's a nice metaphor for how we can uh, switch gears. So what's the, you know, uh, speaking of uh, diminishing uh, apples, I mean, we could go on for hours and hours before I feel like we're running out of apples. <laughs> because the conversation, I'm going to say, we're not, we, we're not out of apples yet. We're not out of apples, but uh, our time constraints are such that uh, uh, I want to ask you uh, one final uh, question or a theme. You can elaborate on it for as long as you want, of course. What's the take-home message for readers of this book? And I, I think there are both uh, readers who are lay people. Uh, there are certainly readers who gravitate to this book because they themselves have bad feelings. They may be diagnosed with a psychological disorder. Uh, and then there are clinicians, you know, and I think your book is going to influence or you hope to influence clinicians to uh, look at patients in a slightly different way because of this perspective. You know, thanks for a chance to ask, address that because, it, you know, it's not just a few people who have these problems, not, not just a few listeners who have bad feelings. Everybody does. And just about all of us have too many bad feelings too often. 
And so there are huge industries trying to help us all feel better, whether it's drugs or meditation or special ways of thinking or cognitive therapy. And all those are good. I mean, I am so much in favor of relieving human suffering however we can do it. But a main theme of the book is that emotions have meaning and we should respect them. And we shouldn't just blame people and say you're having bad bad feelings or something wrong with you. <laughs> we should first look very carefully with that person at what's going on in their life and their physiology and their infections and possible infections to try to understand on an individual basis. So I, I would say if there's one point take home from the whole thing, it is that an evolutionary view encourages very personalized attention to trying to understand um, both why an individual might be having a feeling and whether that feeling is normal and useful or normal and useless or useless and abnormal. In each case, we should try to relieve suffering, but we can do it more effectively if we can find the cause as in the rest of medicine. And you also want to remove the onus, uh, you know, less people feel that they're defective because they can't uh, maintain the high level of uh, functioning that everybody else seems to experience when they uh, look at their Facebook friends enjoying themselves. You know, I spent 40 years hoping to run an anxiety clinic at the University of Medicine in Michigan, and many of my patients felt like there was something wrong with them, period, and they were defective. But when I started talking with them about how, in fact, anxiety gives advantages as well as disadvantages, a lot of them perked up and said, oh, my gosh, I'd never thought of the fact that other people don't have enough anxiety and they end up in the morgue instead of just a psychiatric clinic. So that's very useful. But here's a broader perspective yet, Dr. Hoffman. In, in, mental disorders have been confusing. They've been confusing for patients. They've been confusing for doctors. They've been confusing for researchers. Huge debates continue to go on about why can't we find the genes? Why can't we find specific brain loci causing these problems? Why can't we agree on a diagnostic system? And my fondest hope is that bringing in this solid basic science of evolutionary biology can help make sense of mental illness. It doesn't provide quick cures, but it provides for psychiatry something like what physiology provides for the rest of medicine, an understanding of how the system works normally as a basis for understanding when it doesn't work. And do you also hope that uh, clinicians reading this will, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, we need uh, tools of powerful medications, treatments. Now, you know, uh, we're talking about uh, uh, newer forms of uh, transcranial uh, therapy to sort of rearrange the uh, electrical impulses in patients' brains. There's, you know, hope for some breakthroughs through those techniques. Uh, but is it part of your mission to get clinicians uh, to work with patients uh, to help better understand what their moods and emotions mean in terms of their life circumstances rather than immediately uh, seeking to alleviate their distress? So I, I see mistakes being made on both sides of that, Dr. Hoffman. I, I've had a lot of patients come to me and they say, I know my depression is because I'm not getting along with my spouse, da 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 da, -da. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to them carefully, I realize that their mother and their sister and their brother and the kid also have depression. And it probably doesn't have The depression yep. came first and the problems with the spouse came second. On the other hand, there are other cases I have where people come in saying, uh, just give me a drug. I have depression, it's a brain disease, and I talk with them, and I discovered that actually they have a really specific problem where they're being, you know, mistreated at work, and sexual harassment is very real for them, and they're, they feel trapped, but they don't even want to talk about it. So, again, I think an evolutionary view of psychiatry encourages a very personal attempt to understand why this person is having this symptom now, even as it encourages a larger perspective about why we are all vulnerable. 
And finally, uh, is are there resources that uh, listeners can access? Uh, is there a website? Is there a place uh, where you describe the book or where people can follow your work? Sure can. If you look me up on Google, you'll find lots of things. Or if you look up evolutionary medicine, um, there's a site devoted to the book called goodreasons.info. And there you'll find uh, certain chapters and reviews and links to the book. I think interested people can find a lot of what they'd like there and on my website. But even more broadly, uh, the work on evolution and medicine has now led to an international scientific society. It's called the International Society for Evolution, Medicine, and Public Health. We're having our fifth annual meeting this year in Zurich in August. And I'm the president, eager to be the outgoing president. It's been a lot of work, but, but very satisfying. And I think for physicians in particular, but for anybody in this field who's interested in evolution and medicine in general, uh, Zurich in August is the place to be. Uh, next year we'll be in Georgia, um, so that'll be more accessible for people in the U.S. But our, our ranks are growing very quickly. We have an Oxford Press Journal. Uh, there are new books coming out every month or so about evolution of medicine. There are courses now in most universities. So it's been so satisfying to see something grow from just a, an abstract idea into a whole field where lots of people are doing great research. And I was going to ask you when uh, the Broadway play is going to debut, but uh, actually... Well, actually, watch what you say. Baba Brinkman <laughs> yeah, is I know. a scientific peer-reviewed rap artist, and he has actually just dropped a rap song based on my book. And um, you can find it at RandolphNessie.com. It's uh, R-A-N-D-O-L-P-H, Nessie, N-E-S-S-E.com. I'm very, I didn't listen to it. I'm going to listen to it after the show. It, it's really, he's a fabulous artist. He's a genius. So, okay. And you know, what can we look forward to? I mean, what's he, is he boiling it down into uh, kind of a, a rap? With, with videos too. I mean, the lyric video is up, but he has a, a fancier video in the works, and there's hopes that this will become an entire album. He did a previous album about evolutionary medicine, which is a great way of teaching students about evolutionary medicine. He, he's a peer-reviewed scientific rap artist. He takes all of his content <laughs> and runs it by scientists to make sure it's legit. Um, I, I highly encourage people to take a listen. Oh, that's definitely going to go viral. All right. Uh, Baba Brinkman's rap video based on uh, the book, uh, Good Reasons for Bad Feelings. Uh, Dr. Nessie, congratulations on, uh, you know, really a very, very exciting uh, career direction that you've taken and uh, also uh, sharing in such a, a clear way uh, some rather complex uh, scientific concepts with the public. The book is excellent. Good Reasons for Bad Feelings. So appreciate talking with you. Love your website. And I think you're doing a great service for us all by getting these ideas out there. Thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, this is a vital time to bolster our immune defenses. I've received countless requests for a specific list of supplements that I recommend to support immune health. That's why I've created the Intelligent Medicine Immune Support Protocol, my supplement recommendations offering the greatest boost for your immune system when it's needed most. Best medicine is preventive medicine. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com for more information. drhoffmanstore.com in addition to the immune support protocol, you'll find easy-to-follow links for our supplement starter kit, heart health protocol, and much more. These protocols are an easy way for you to get the exact combination of targeted supplements you need to help you follow the intelligent medicine lifestyle. The same supplements I take for myself and prescribe for my patients. And for a limited time, you'll get free priority shipping on all of your store orders. 
For more details, just go to drhoffmanstore.com. That's drhoffmanstore.com.